Thank you, orchestra. Appreciate that. God is worthy of praise. I hope you think that tonight. It's kind of what our message is about. If you've seen the handout as well as who is worthy of our praise, who's worthy of all of our praise, and it's our great God. I'll just give you a spoiler alert right there. It's God who's worthy of all of our praise. Let's go ahead into um, my my, uh, introduction here about worshiping before the throne that I've I've uh, taken on here. We've been I've been trying to cover why we worship or how we worship God, and uh, I, I've always been overwhelmed by this passage in Revelation four when you see God in His throne, um, and and does seeing God affect the way that we worship Him? Does knowing who He is affect how you would approach Him and worship? That's been the main question I wanted you to think through with my one message uh, from Revelation that I planned on doing. Um, as I got into it, it's just it's turned into more because I just couldn't paint this scene in Revelation uh, four enough in one message, and that so it took three messages for Revelation four, and then um, five went with it, and so I was like, how can I stop? I need to continue on with this to really get through what all is happening here. We'll talk more about that, but just as a little uh, introduction again here as well, I t- I've uh, thrown in your. Um, paper the last few times I've spoke this outline of revelation that there's things that, that, that John was supposed to write in the past present and future and just for again for you to see where we're at we're there under the future events in chapters four and five in the prologue to the tribulation so that is where we're hanging out as we study the word tonight so you can turn in your bibles there revelation four and uh, five and just kind of camp out with me there this evening and i'll call on some of you uh, to read passages and things that maybe even show up as well on that paper out, um, outline that i have does anyone need that outline the men are ready to run it around if you need one so we got a few people for that tonight you got to get all these these blanks filled in i've got to work on the m&m thing like pastor hibbs always used to do it's good seeing the hibbs back today too been traveling around a lot. Good to see them back in town. Um, so as I continue my, before I continue with the introduction, let's go ahead to the Lord in prayer that uh, he would honor this service tonight. Father, we thank you for a time to come and preach the word. Father, uh, use, use my mouth, my lips, my preparation in your word to really uh, work in people's hearts today, that they would be able to think about their worship before you and to be excited about the future that we have with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we're there, um, I, I, I kind of want to start. My, my daughter says I need more good illustrations. I don't have them. I think this whole passage is an awesome illustration, and it probably doesn't need any other. But just to help you kind of understand, does anyone remember what happened on April 23rd this year? A very important date in this church. Yes. What's that? Yes, it was my ordination. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, I got ordained in this church on April 23rd. Of course, you knew that. You just didn't know the date, and I totally understand that. But this was a special service for me. I had been here for 10 years in the church, had kind of always planned to get ordained and things. Finally, uh, was brought on staff eventually here in the Lord's timing, and then uh, prepared to ordination council, and then the next day, was ordained. And this service order for my ordination installation service is what we call it, installing me as a full-time pastor, looked like this. And I knew you'd want to see it. So I don't have a laser on this pointer, but um, it started off with a welcoming open from pastor who showed what we, uh, who talked about what was going to go on that evening. Then we sang some songs, sing praise to God because God is great. 
And we would follow him. And then press on was a choir piece that my wife wrote. And so it was special that way too. But we're to press on and continue serving him. Fit with the whole theme of the night of me being a pastor. Oh, great God. Occupy my whole life. Be used of me. Then we had an ordination summary where pastor says he went through the council. He, we affirm him as becoming a pastor. He is worthy. Right, we're talking about worthy tonight. They say I'm wor- he's worthy to become a pastor. They may have changed their mind by this point, but he said that. Um, and then the congregation sings some more songs about following God. My father-in-law and father made some remarks, some embarrassing, but they also kind of confirmed that they thought I could be a pastor and serve the Lord. Charged to the candidate for pastor about how I should act. Then they lay on their hands and they say they they pray and the gift of. Being a pastor given to me by those, by those other men and ordained men saying, you are now a pastor and praying to God to bless my ministry. Officially in that capacity now. And then we sang, oh, 4,000 tongues. And I kind of went through a lot of stuff. But there was a reason through this program, right? And the way we did what we did and leading you through it to install this. And we are kind of there as well. Oh, wait, we forgot the ice cream social at the end. So then we celebrated afterwards, okay? So I, I don't want to miss that. I think that's, that's kind of important. But as we look at this Revelation stuff, the more I've studied 4 and 5, the more I see this as a musician, as this special ceremony that is going on with music and drama and everything uh, that goes into making it exciting. And it's all part of this ceremony for Jesus Christ. To bring about that it's judgment time as the tribulation gets going. And, and so I, I kind of want to point that out and say, you know, we, we are not the inventors of programs. We enjoy them because we are made in the image of God. And we enjoy this, this thematic sort of thing. And, and even this, uh, I don't want to use the word entertainment. But we, we find interest in songs and lights and everything that went on as part of even this scene up there in glory in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation. And so in chapter 4, we saw the scene of the throne, first of all, as part of what I would call Act 1, if you want to really get into a program. And the scene of the throne and the glory of God and the angels that are there circulating and all this. And so he's in awe of what's happening as part of this first scene. The thunders, the lightnings, the fires, the spirit, uh, all this that's happening. And then out of this, we have the hymns about create the Creator and that they are subordinate to Him. We went through those the last time at my message um, at the end of chapter 4. We'll review a little bit of that, of the hymns of creation in a moment. And then we get into where I'm calling Act 2 now because something else happens. There's, in chapter 5, there's a drama kind of scene that happens that we're going to look at tonight. That's the only part we're looking at tonight because it's, even though I thought I'd finish tonight, we're not. So we're going to look at the drama part tonight, and we'll cover the hymns next, time, next week on Sunday night, which is perfect, because you can see that the hymns in this chapter are hymns of redemption to God and to the Lamb, which will fit perfectly into our Lord's Supper next week. And so we're going to do that next week, finish this, um, in, theory, in theory, finish this series next week and head into the Lord's Supper and just uh, proclaim Him as, as the Lamb who's worthy and and think about our place in that and our relationship with the Lamb. So kind of, kind of what's been going on. So last time uh, I was speaking on this about a month ago or so, um, we t- I talked about the crescendo 
of this service that, that I was seeing happening. In chapters 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, the first song sort of happens by the li- four living creatures. And then in 10, uh, 4, 10, and 11, 24 elders sing something. So there's more, more people involved, more beings involved. Then um, Revelation 5, 8, there's all 28, the four creatures plus the 24 elders. So that's 28. Plus they add harps to that. And this is on your outlines as well. And then we had a crescendo. Crescendo in music means it's getting bigger, by the way. And then... Um, 511, the 28 beings plus harps plus many or all the angels. We don't know. It's more than can be counted really there. And then 513, every creature everywhere. So you can just see the progression of things are growing as this program unfolds. We went through that uh, briefly last time to understand how this was coming about in this program that God has for us. As part of the songs that we studied last time also in um, chapter 4, verse 8, uh, would somebody like to read that for us? Chapter 4, verse 8, anyone have that? Go ahead and read that out loud for us. It's a short verse, chapter 4, verse 8. Go for it, Randy, Pastor Randy. Yes, and so much awesomeness in this as they're saying that a holy, holy, holy. God is so separate from everything else, and not just separate as weird, but separate as amazing and awesome. Okay, he's the holiness could be the word we could use to describe all of his attributes that are all summed up in him, that he is separate because of everything he is. And has been. And then we get more distinct into that with some of the other things they said. When they said Yahweh, the Lord, they're talking about the I am that we talked about having no beginning, and everything comes out of him. John Piper's uh, quote there again uh, from last time God is absolute reality. There is no reality before him, there is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. He is all that was eternally, no space, no universe. No emptiness, only God. Different from my view, probably, is that I just think of emptiness. But no, there was nothing. There's no emptiness. There's no space. There's nothing except God. And everything comes out of him. Everything that we know is because of the Yahweh. And that's all tied up in his name when you say the word Lord. Uh, That's all tied up in that. They also uh, get more specific in saying that he is almighty uh, as well in that passage, Almighty, uh, for creating, for sustaining, for judging, for resurrecting us. All of that is tied into his almightiness. So be in awe, be amazed. As Psalm 115.3 says, But our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And I pointed out, wow, that's almighty. I can't do anything, even if I think about it, but God can do anything he thinks of. He can do that. Um, that is all powerful. That is amazing. And he's eternal from eternity past, is also mentioned in the song of those angels in chapter 4, verse 8. He's, he's unlike all other beings. We have a beginning, and some of us continue on for eternity as humans. Animals have a beginning, they have an end. No mosquitoes in heaven. Um, I hope. And... Angels have a beginning and no end. God 
No beginning, no end. We pointed out amazing stuff tied up in Yahweh, the Almighty, the Eternal One who was, is, and is to come. From there, when the angels said that, we looked at whenever they say that, the elders, which we believe are humans, representatives of the human Christians at that point, um, some debate, you know, from, from theologians, but as far as we can tell, probably humans who are representing us as Christians, what do they do whenever the angels say those things, sing those things? They fall down, they worship him, they cast their crowns before him, acknowledging as well with the angels, he is the almighty one, he's the creator, he's the awesome one, we bow before him as well. It's not just the angel host that's doing this, it's us as well. We, we acknowledge him as that and the greater king than us. Even though he's made us kings to rule alongside him, he is the greater king. Here's my crown. I cast it down. I submit to you, showing my submission to you by doing this, then taking it up again to do again, um, if, if the angels would so choose to say holy, holy, holy again. Uh, so this response. But this is part of this program right here of what, what's leading into our, our part this evening. They, the human hymn there, the elders hymn says, O Lord, again not acknowledging Yahweh, created all things, acknowledging the creation, and by your will they exist, showing his all-powerfulness. Very similar in theme to what the angel said. So they're just confirming what the angel said, that they agree with that as far as earth is concerned as well, not just the heavenly host. Um, they, they also said that he is worthy of what? And this is where we closed last time. He's worthy of glory honor and power. And I said more specifically for us, um, that would be our glory. He's worthy of all of our glory. He's worthy of all our honor and he's worthy of all our our power. And I tried to encourage you, will you give that to him in your lives? Even as Drew said that I'm that living sacrifice, that everything I do would be for his glory. Everything I do would be for his honor. Everything that I do in my power, it's not mine. It's all, it's all for God. All my service is his. And that's kind of where we closed off last time. So this gets us to this evening in your blanks that you need to fill in, which is who is worthy to open the scroll? Uh, mentioned that a, a couple times already. Sort of some interesting details as we get into this chapter. If you scanned it already quickly, we're only going to go through verse 6 tonight. Um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And so as you, as you look through this, let's just read it. I'll read it out loud. You follow along so we can just have the whole grasp of it at first here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. When I saw, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, this is John weeping, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose it, uh, its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth and that's where I'm actually going to stop tonight. So kind of seeing the whole thing as a group as we head into this. Interesting stuff in there. We see that um, one of the th- first things in verse 1 that pops up is that he sees in the right hand 
of the Ancient of Days, God sitting on the throne, this scroll in a hand, setting up this, this drama scene that happens here. In the right hand, where Christ has been since he ascended, at the right hand of the Father, and there is Christ, um, ready to take it from the right hand of the Father as well. Uh, I, so I see that as interesting. You see the scroll that's on both sides. We see Christ as a lamb with horns and eyes and all this stuff. So let's just talk through this a little bit and appreciate who God is in our worship a little bit more. Um, the first thing that we're going to talk through is this book and the seals. So this scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So some interesting things coming up here. Books as we know them, um, turn the page, uh, invented more in the second century A.D. called Codex. Um, these were scrolls, and I know you guys have heard this kind of stuff before. We won't linger here. But it's scroll. It's rolled up. It's sealed by people. Um, this one's unusual because it's a double-sided scroll. Um, actually, I was supposed to underline some other things. That doesn't matter. Which is a double-sided scroll. It's called an epistograph. How many knew that? I didn't know that. But I was like, they've got to fill it in because that's a neat word to learn. So epistograph. Epistograph is unusual. It's very rare. It's non-sellable. It's non-saleable or, or whatever you say, however you say that. It's not something you would find as a scroll that could be sold. Okay, they're going to only have one-sided scrolls that were sold. Uh, a two-sided scroll is rare. It's probably a very important document that both sides ended up being filled. It's not a copy. It's a one-of-a-kind type of thing. What you would expect for a document like this that God has that he's handing to his son. This is a one-of-a-kind thing. This is something unusual. This is something different. But, I mean, what does that really make you wonder? What's on the scroll? Right? This is so important. This is a huge scene that opens up when he pops these seals, right? Tribulations are happening, and then the tribulations stop, and what's on the scroll? You know, so it makes us think. It's made a lot of people think uh, through the years. One idea is that it's a title deed to creation. Um, I'm going to read something, and then you'll be really confused. Progressive unfolding of the history of the world is the idea. It's the title deed to creation that was forfeited by sin in Genesis. By his redeeming death, Christ has won the authority to reclaim the earth so he can take this scroll again. This is uh, one of the common views. MacArthur also calls it a title deed, uh, John MacArthur. Um, another idea is that it's a testament of God concerning the promises of the inheritance of his future kingdom. Okay, could be that. Um, a lament, um, like Ezekiel's scroll, um, depicting the judgment was coming, time's running out. Walvoord takes that position. He's uh, the one that, as many of you have the Bible um, knowledge commentary. That's more his position. Um, another one is that the Old Test, it's the Old Testament Torah. It's the law. Who fulfills the law? Christ. This is the law. He's the one who has the right to bring about the judgments, you know, and all this sort of thing is the law is opened up and people are judged. Um, another one is an announcement of the consummation of history, um, judgment, rewards, and such. Some of those might be tied together in your mind of what they would be. But all of these guesses, and I say they're guesses because what? We don't know! <laughs> and I, I have that little asparagus pop up whenever you're supposed to have a blank filled in. We don't really know 
what's on the scroll. That's why there's some different ideas about that. Um, but the, our best guesses would be found probably in this passage because who's worthy to open it, right? And you'd think that the worthiness would be tied with what it's about, um, but we don't know exactly what's on that scroll. Um, just prior to the seventh seal being broken, uh, is connected with the sixth. It's connected with the sixth seal. It says, "For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand?" So maybe it has to do with that, but not really sure. The other thing about this scroll, so we don't know. So I've already um, been successful in telling you we don't know an answer. So hopefully it's, this is keeping you riveted. Um, why so many seals? Right? You don't think of, you know, if you're watching a movie, you're probably going to see one seal on something and the, the guy's taking it and delivering it somewhere. Um, why so many seals? Um, and here's your answer, guys, to hide what's inside. Okay, more seals uh, were, were put on something if it wasn't supposed to be known. For only the, only the recipient, you know, the intended recipient can open something like this. I remember being a child. Christmas, tree, presents. My parents weren't always that great with the tape. You know, so you're kind of like, can you see? If there's not enough tape, which is the seal on the present, you can see what's inside, right? But uh, did any of you do that? Yeah. You're trying, Pat, thank you for your honesty. Um, you know, you're trying to find out what is in this thing. You know, it'd be better if I knew. I might even want to know what my other siblings uh, had. I mean, if you're like one of my kids, they just opened all of them. You know, they forget the, forget trying to look around the edges. Um, but, but um, you know, uh, it's it's to hide what's in there. If there's no tape, you can you can see in there easy. You just flap it open, right? So kind of think of that. It's to hide what's going on. Original original documents were sealed. Copies were not, okay, because if it's just multiple copies, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing secret. It's not for just one person, right? So this isn't a copy again. It's it's many, many seals, or even being sealed means it's not a copy. Sealed documents were hidden. Copies were not. Um, I wrote one other thought. It can't be seen, copied, or edited, right? So maybe a few extra thoughts in there, because if someone could get into it, what if they changed some contracts? Because a lot of these official documents were contracts by someone. Um, Romans would seal their important contracts with six to seven seals. Each one, each seal bearing a different name of the person doing it. They had a lot of names. Man, who, what's your name? Oh, ugh. I mean, we do know Christ has a lot of names. Maybe there's different, different names on all those. That's the Romans. Um, the Hebrews title deeds title deeds to land and so forth, required a minimum of three witnesses and three separate seals. Uh, more seals if it was more important transactions. So this is a big deal document. Lots of seals trying to hide more of what's inside. No peeling back, no, no partial observation really. It's sealed up. It's, it's not going to be able to be seen. So now that I've talked about the double-sided scroll and the seven seals. Does anyone here want to state something about why we truly don't know what is on the scroll right now? What's that? Because it's sealed. It hasn't happened yet. This is the future. You're not supposed to know what's on that thing. Only God is. You know what? 
you might never know what's on that. We might not. It's really for Christ. Maybe I won't. Maybe he'll share it with me. I kind of hope he will. But I wouldn't have to know what's on that necessarily. But when the seals are broken, at least, that's Christ's contract or whatever it is, important document for him to observe and see given by the Father to him. Yeah, Pat, go ahead. Right. I know it's, it's easy to think through a lot of different things that are really neat about why, why it's that way and things. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, you guys are free to interrupt me and correct me, too. Some of you have thought through these things. That'd be good. All right, well, let's move on to some other things that we do know as we look at this passage. We see the drama of the ceremony, which I kind of already pointed out. Uh, the angel proclaiming something here in this, uh, in this verse, Revelation 5, 2 and 3 says, again, then I saw a strong angel, maybe a strong voice, maybe he's actually a strong angel. Um, I think all angels are a lot stronger than us. Uh, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. No one's found in heaven or earth that meets the qualifications. Okay, there's qualifications. It's called out. Who's worthy? Who meets the qualifications for this? We don't know the qualifications other than it's said later in the passage, right? Well, who's, who's qualified? No one's qualified. Why go through this? The angels all know who's qualified. You know, but it's yet part of this drama of this ceremony that God wanted to call something out like this. And we see... Uh, this is not the only time in this passage where all in heaven and on earth and under the earth have audience here and have a part of this, of this program. Right? They have it here. They have it as well later on in one of the songs where everything in heaven, on earth, and under the earth are part of, are part of what's, what's said and sung. Uh, so interesting, again, no one's able to stand up. No one's able to, uh, to say that they are worthy of this. No one has the authority and the virtue of the task. No one has the inheritance, if you would want to say, but more the authority or virtue is probably what's going on. So I hope you got the word drama written down in your blanks. As we move on, we also see the consoling elder to, to him. Just taking this verse by verse, would someone like to read for me again as we look at this consoling elder, verses 4 and 5? Kyle would like to read. His hand was up first. Go for it, Kyle. Yes, so it says, it says, don't weep, okay, as part of this drama again, don't weep. Someone is, someone can do this. This is just part of the program, you know, just, just wait for it to happen, okay? We've been planning this for a while. This isn't, no surprise, judgment was coming. We've been preparing for this. See, there's, there's someone who has, there's someone who is able to o take this seal and to open it up and we find out maybe what's in there. Um, why? No, none of the commentators really point this out, but that someone has what? It says a word there. Someone has prevailed. 
Someone has prevailed. He's overcome. He's triumphed to conquer and to be worthy. All tied up kind of in that word of what it is. So what has Christ overcome, prevailed, and conquered over? You might have a few things in mind. Some might be related to this. But why? What has Christ overcome or prevailed? Think about it. He has death. And I don't know if death in the grave is why he's worthy to open this. But if we think about why he's worthy in some of the songs later in this chapter, um, it, could, it could be partially because of, of his death and victory over that, and that he's prevailed. But what else did he prevail against? Evil, sin. As I was thinking about the, what all sin is tied up into, uh, we often say pride is the root of all sin, Satan's sin. And yet Christ prevails against all of this. He's not self-centered. When you have kids, you start seeing that they're, they're very self-centered. right? They want what's good for them, not for whatever, everybody else. Yes, and, and Drew, it's, it's appropriate for you to give the laser eyes over there right now. Um, Christ isn't that way. Right? He, love is commitment for us, and he prevails over self-centeredness. He had the right, even, to be self-centered. But he, he, he says, no, I'm not self-centered. I have I, I, victory over all those types of things, and, and he's prevailed over it for us. Uh, so that was just an amazing thing as I think about what he prevailed over. It wasn't just over death. It was over sin and that self-centeredness that, that he would give up his own body and take a judgment for what he didn't do. So think about what that took and when you're saying the word prevailed, an overcomer of what he had to overcome. Um, he mentions then, this consoling elder, mentions two titles for this one that's overcome. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, um, part of Jacob's last words to his sons, not always blessings, but here it has uh, this one to Judah. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. And out of Judah's line comes Jesus Christ. And this is kind of even um, prophetic of the Jesus Christ coming. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He also mentions that he is the root of David. Isaiah 11, 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Also Isaiah eleven ten, And in that day there shall be a root out of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. That's me. And his resting place shall be glorious. His resting place is glorious. It really is, right? So you see the prophetic things about this root of David. Also Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up and raise to David a branch of righteousness, and a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment. That's what's happening right here, right? Who's worthy? Well, he, he's the root of David. He's the one prophesied. Judgment and righteousness in the earth. His days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness in capital letters. 
Okay, that is our righteousness with the songs of the Redeemer coming, right, in this passage. Prophesied, and here he is, the, the, the line of the tribe of, Je- of Je- Judah, the root of David. So as you think of these two symbols, the lion and the root, what do you think about? What's that? Strength. Okay, he is the one, the lion, the root. It's strong. It's ready to, to bring judgment and righteousness and for the Jewish people to have the, the earth again and all this that's tied up with it. And so then what happens in 5-6? Who's going to read that for me again? 5-6. Thanks, David. Go. Can you see the drama? He says, it's a lion, it's a root, and there's a lamb slain. Wow. Right? It's like this paradox stuff. It's all this interesting double, double stuff going on here, but yet the lamb is both of those. It's all, he's all those things. And he's all tied up, it's all tied up there with him. And there's your, there's your blank. The lamb is worthy. Right? What, what you, I'm sure you knew uh, an easy, an easy blank to fill in. The Lamb is worthy. Christ is worthy. Um, John would have think he's going to see this conquering lion. Instead, he sees the servant. He sees the sacrifice. The one who's not self-centered. There. Um, thus, the two messianic themes of the Old Testament come together. The two messianic themes: the suffering servant, the conquering king. They were so focused on the conquering king that they wanted. They missed the suffering servant part that's so clear in Scripture. We already looked at some of the conquering king power there. But 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, uh, tying in the Passover lamb right of the Old Testament to Jesus Christ. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot, the perfect Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. And there he is. He's the Passover lamb. Philippians 2, 8, and 11, 8 through 11, And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself, not self-centered, became obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every... which. Uh, um, Given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is there anything, did it say anything in that passage that we see as well in our passage? Everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We've already seen that in our passage. It's going to come up twice in there. So this passage is partial fulfillment of this. Philippians, right, of what God is doing, it's partially fulfilled, at least partially fulfilled, just in this chapter, this Philippians section, as we see the suffering servant who's also the conquering king. Uh, The other interesting thing as we finish up today is that the Trinity is on display in this drama, 
in this act two of what's happening here in the prologue to the tribulation, we see the Trinity being there. While being the suffering lamb, he, he's showing horns, which again is kind of a symbol of strength. We know part of the spirit is power. Um, so even as he's the lamb slain, he's showing the spirit is with him. And I want to point out a few passages about the spirit being with Christ. Uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through two, uh, 11, 1 and 2. Uh, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. We talked about that. Oh, this is the passage you already read, right? And the branch shall grow out of its roots. Right after that, the next, it also talks about the Spirit, which we've already pointed out as the flames. Remember the sevenfold flames? That was from right here as well. So this branch, Christ, has the seven spirits, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we're saying that that is the sevenfold Spirit that's there with Christ um, prophesied about in this passage. John, 1 John 5, 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. The Spirit with Christ, bearing witness about Christ before the Father. Do we get to have a, a witness like that too? He does. He gives us the same witness. I had to at least show you that verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Right, we have it here. We also have him sealing us before the Father, saying that, that we are his. So as Christ has the Spirit, so we have the Spirit with us. But the Spirit and the Word working together. The Spirit and the Word work together all the time in us as well, constantly. The Spirit and the Word together. Um, we were talking about this in intro class this morning. One passage in Ephesians will say the Spirit the next, the other one says in Colossians 3, the word, you know, and, and they'll, they'll substitute those two things, the word and the spirit, Christ, the word, working together with the spirit in us, changing us, making us more like him. And so as we look at this scene and this program that we've been able to start unfolding here tonight and we'll finish next week, uh, the program I mentioned last time that I saw there in Sydney, Australia, can you appreciate the program that's put together with the acts and the songs and the drama? And are you ready to have the songs of redemption next week? I hope that you are. Uh, I wanted to conclude again just thinking through a couple things. How should I approach God to worship Him is our overarching idea that I mentioned at the beginning. Next time as I finish this up, I'm hoping some of you will answer this some for me. If I call you out, throw a mic out there next week. From this passage, how should we approach God? So think about what we get from this passage about that. That's the point of why I've done these now five sermons. Um, do you see Christ? Do you see Christ for who he is every day and what he did and how he wasn't self-centered? And how are you responding to that? Will you be the living sacrifice for him as well? Will you think about that tonight? Um, I, I mentioned this to Drew earlier this afternoon. I said to a professor once, a very godly professor, Bible teacher, I said, what do you do for devotions? In my mind, he already knew it all. I'm like, what do you do for devotions? He said, I study the cross of Christ every day and what he did for me. And it helps me to, not, to, to give up myself because he was so selfless in his sacrifice. But do you see the Christ? 
And will you not be self-centered as well? Would you be like him, giving, realizing what he caught, what the cost was for him, and give your life back to him as you see the slain lamb there before the Father? Who's worthy to take this scroll that we'll look at next week? Will you crown him Lord of all even now? Kelly's going to